0: Hello and welcome to this GCP Short, produced in collaboration with friends of the podcast Beecher Carlson. Over the next 20 minutes or so, we will address the boom in captive formations within America's middle market, the different types of company structures found there and how it can impact the tax treatment and utilisation of captives in those groups. Our two expert speakers are Pete Krantz, Executive Managing Director and Captive Practice Leader at Beecher Carlson, and Dan Kazela, Tax partner at Crow. Pete begins the conversation by setting out how we are going to define the U.S. middle market.
1: That's actually a great question because it really depends on who you ask, right? Um, for the most part, um, I, I think about it as as maybe you know in the in the hundred to two hundred and fifty million up to sort of the low billions. But to put that into a little bit of context. There's, I think, over hundred thousand companies with over twenty-five or fifty million dollars worth, worth of revenue. So, you know, as we're talking about middle market, it, it's going to be kind of that broad range. But we're also going to kind of get down into the, the smaller market as well. But I would say in that in that you know two hundred and fifty to a, to a billion to two billion dollar range, I think is a good good threshold to use.
0: Yeah, and that number there—the kind of hundreds of thousands of companies, roughly in that in that bracket or yeah, in that smaller bracket of that—is uh, is is mind-blowing when and, and when you think of the potential there is still out there for for more captive formations, particularly in, in the American market. Now, a- another way to segment these uh, companies is uh, S corps and C corps. Uh, again, this is very much uh, America-specific. So, Dan, can you perhaps explain? what the difference is between S-corps and C corps and and do both of these types of companies form captives?
2: Yeah, so the difference between an S-corp and a C Corp, and the C corps you see a lot with the publicly traded companies. And that has to do with ownership and what a C Corp then can do, and a lot of the mid-market companies take advantage of this is make an S-corporation election. And what that does is you still have the legal aspect of the C corporation But a lot of the the earnings flow through to the owners through a K-1. So in other words, you get that single level taxation, um, unlike the double level taxation that is there for the C-Corp. So in other words, what happens with the C-Corp? C-Corp earns a profit. They pay currently a 21% tax rate on the corporation's profits. And then when it dividends those profits back, there's another depending on the tax bracket, whether it's 20% or 23.8% dividend tax on that dividend coming back. That's a tax to the shareholder, the shareholder pay that. In an S corporation, which a lot of the middle markets are structured as, the profits just flow through to the owners. Um, The owners do receive a W-2 and they get paid wages, but the remaining profits then go to the shareholders and the shareholders pick it up on their 1040s. So there's an aspect of a single level of taxation. Now, one of the other structures, and I know that you did not ask about it, Richard, but it's very prevalent in the middle market is also LLCs. And an LLC could be structured as a single member LLC, meaning you have one member of that Organization one owner essentially, or you could have a multi-member LLC which has many members. Now the LLC is is prevalent because it's very flexible. So it could either be a disregarded entity if it has one owner. It could be taxed as a partnership, or it could be taxed. You can make an election to tax it as a C corporation or an S corporation. What we see a lot of in the middle market is these. LLC be taxed as a partnership, which again, it goes back to very, it's very different. But in my instance, the shareholders, the members of the LLC are going to be the members who are taxed. So it's that single level taxation. And that's the realm that we're talking about today.
0: And all of those companies and different types of companies do form captives, don't they, Dan? We we set up captives for all different types of, of corporations in America.
2: Yeah, as long as it makes insurance sense, we've seen, I, I've got S corporations that own captives, I've got single member LLCs that own captives, multi-member C corporations, obviously, um, they own captives, really, and, and individuals own them directly outside of the structure, it all depends on what makes sense. So, yeah, as you go through all of these types of entities, all these types of middle market entities, somewhere in their organizational structure We've seen these these types of entities have an ownership and a captive.
1: Dan, h- how does that impact? As you know, we're we're looking at captives. I mean, there's there's obviously sort of the first part of the equation, which is does a captive make sense from a risk management standpoint? But then we have to go further and say, okay, how should we be accounting for this? do those different structures have impacts on that uh, that might be too broad of a question but I'm curious what your what your thoughts are
2: yeah so tax does play a role in how much your total cost of insurance in a captive formation structure could be impacted so in other words if i set up if i've got a c corporation and i set up a wholly owned captive underneath it i'm able to repatriate some of those earnings back to the Parent tax free. Okay. And now that's the general rule. There's always some instances where that doesn't happen. So please don't take that as it's always the case. But a lot of times we can do that. Whereas if you have an S Corp or an LLC and you dividend those profits back, they're going to go back and they're going to be taxed back the individual at a 20 or 23, 20 or 23.8% rate. So every time you look at the ownership structure, tax plays a major role and the whole organizational profile plays a major role in keeping your costs down. Now, it should not be your the reason why you form a captive, but it definitely needs to be looked at because it does impact your overall cost structure.
1: And I could tell you, I could do like on our side, when, when we're consulting with clients, tax is never the motivating factor. So I completely agree with you on that
0: point. So. Pete, obviously, as you say, not the motivating factor, but as Dan says, you know, clients will need to be cognizant of the different impacts different structures w- will have. And is it fair to say, Pete, that, you know, we've seen huge amounts of of growth in in captive numbers over the last couple of years? As, whenever I talk to you and others, it kind of the term reigning captives is often mentioned, particularly in America. Is it fair to say that it is the broad, as as we defined earlier, middle market that is really driving uh, the captive growth of the past two years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if we think back in time, you know, captives in the U.S. really started 40 something years ago uh, and captives offshore further back than that. So the concept has been around for a very, very long time. And so typically when that happens, you look for what are the low hanging fruit or what are the easiest opportunities or uh, for whom does captive make the most sense early on? The largest companies, right? So you had, you know, the global leaders, the, the Fortune 500 sort of were the first ones into the market. Well, as that happens, the market refines and starts to make things more available uh, further, further down for the, the size spectrum, right? Um, so we've, seen, we've been seeing a lot of activity in the 500 million to, to the low billions, which as we said here um, at, at the start is that's what we're defining as middle market. Middle market can, can have a bunch of different definitions, but um, there's definitely been a lot of growth in that area. I think one of the big questions is, well, why? And you know, the last two years, Richard, is what, what you mentioned, and, and that you know, defines the, the period where we've been having a hardening market. So the interesting thing is the hardening market has been different than historical hardening markets. Now, I want to pause and kind of take a little bit of a sidestep and just mention that um, you know, we've had group captives around for a long time. So we've had activity in, the, in the, the small and middle market prior to the past two years, but we're definitely seeing more and more growth there. So when we think about the, the large account space, right? So the global leaders of Fortune 1000, those types of folks, the insurance markets have with, with hardening, uh, they've been less compelled to fill their capacity. So they've been more willing to walk away from insuring risks. And what that has done is for those large uh, accounts, those large companies, is they've increased retentions, in some cases being forced into increased retentions, and in some cases just financially it not making sense to uh, insure the risk. I had one client where uh, their, their $10 million primary on property was going to cost them $6 million, and they'd never had that much in claims. They'd only had $2 million in claims uh, in that layer in the past 10 years. So the economics just don't work. So you've got those large accounts that are, are starting to take on more risk. So what that does is it moves some of the, the pricing pressure down to the middle market. And as those prices are increasing in the middle market, you see retentions going up. When you have retentions going up and you're starting to take on more risk, then you're more of a candidate to do something around a captive. Uh, if you're in the 500 to, to a couple billion, if you're in that, that upper middle market, then the numbers, the economics of a captive can work very well even for a pure captive. But we've seen uh, definitely an increase in group structures. You know, there's, there's sort of the, I don't want to say the canned solution group structures out there, but then you have sort of customized group structures. So I was working with some fast food franchisees, uh, and they reached out to some of their contemporaries um, and put together their own group structure. So we're seeing a lot more of that where they can have more control over their group structure as well. Um, but definitely, we're seeing a lot of activity in the middle market. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of the more creative and innovative types of ideas pushing down into the middle market because the insurance cost or TCOR, total cost of risk, might still be in that you know, 10 to 15 to even possibly $20 million range. Uh, And we can build structures around that on a holistic risk financing basis, multi-line integrated aggregate and those sorts of things. Um, So those concepts um, are are moving further down. And we've seen a little bit uh, on the large account, we've seen a little bit of retreat from the reinsurance markets on those types of structures where you're bundling um, a bunch of different risks in a captive and uh, really looking to transfer that already on on a diversified basis simply because of scale. So we're seeing those markets that might have you know, previously given $100 million of capacity really scaling back to like $25 to $50 million worth of capacity. Well, now, if you think about that from the middle market perspective, that's actually what we want. So from these reinsurers' perspective, uh, they don't want to necessarily do one company's bundled risk for $100 million of capacity. They'd rather do a middle market company's four middle market companies' bundled risk at $25 million each because that creates even more diversification. So there's definitely uh, more opportunity and we are seeing a lot more activity in that middle market space.
0: That's really interesting, Pete, that last point about those kind of, yeah, bundled or, or structured reinsurance solutions, p- perhaps becoming more applicable uh, to to the middle market. And, and that's, that's really exciting to hear because until now, I'd only ever heard the flip side of that, Pete, which is large accounts complaining that the capacity isn't there at the moment for those kinds of programs. So it's interesting to see, well, at least it's making it possibly available to a whole new group of of clients. I mean, you, when when we defined um, the middle market p, as I said at the start, you know, it it really does show you know hard market or not, and you know this hard market will not go on forever. And in fact, it already looks like it might be might be turning. You know, how much potential is there remains in in that segment of the of the middle market for for new formations? Huge
1: potential. Um, so we go back to to how we led this off. You know, there's somewhere around 100,000 or so companies with maybe $50 million of of revenue or more. I don't think captives typically play, pure captives don't typically play well in that $50 million of revenue space. But if their workers' comp spend, say, for example, is $500,000, then that may not, on its own, make sense. But you take them and you bring them, bundle them together with five, 10 other companies, and you're starting to get to a scale Where they can bundle that risk and create a captive or or set up an alternative risk financing structure. Now, group structures have been around for a very long time. So it really fundamentally comes down to does it make more sense for me to go into business with um, the five contemporaries that uh, I know quite well in the industry and I feel comfortable with, where I can, you know, the five of us govern the structure, the five of us control, you know, what risk goes in, uh, who we're choosing as business partners. Or do I want to go into a larger group structure where uh, I don't necessarily have that control? I might be one of 100 voices in that structure. I'm not saying that those structures are necessarily bad. Um, it's really just finding the right solution for, e- for each individual. But in that lower end of the middle market, there's huge opportunities still. But even heading up you know, to, to companies with a billion dollars, there's a lot of companies out there with a billion dollars in revenue that you know, might be spending $10, 20000000 million on, on risk that don't have a captive right now. A captive may not work for them, but there's still a lot of potential even in that part in the upper middle market. Uh, significant potential as we move further down the middle market, and it's really going to continue to spread through uh, the, the small market as well. So as we as we move down, you know what's what's the threshold that we cut it off on? I don't really know that yet, but we've got hundreds of thousands of companies out there that are sort of in that in that you know 25 50 million dollars and up that could definitely fit into a, a captive type of structure.
0: So uh, I want to change tack a little bit and and just talk a little bit about uh tax Dan because we, we have got you on here and you are the tax expert. Obviously there was some quite substantial uh, type of tax reforms under President Trump and uh, we know that President Biden wants to make his own tax changes as well. How are President Biden's tax plans and what we know of them expected to impact captives and their captive owners in the middle market? And and will it differ, bearing in mind our conversation earlier about between S-Corps and and C-Corps?
2: Yeah, great question. So again, uh, I never believe a tax proposal until it's actually signed in a legislation. Um, But based on what we know today, uh, which could be different by the time everybody's listening to this. But based on what we know today, we anticipate the tax rate going up for captives. Currently, it's at 21 percent and not just captives, all corporations. There's been talks about 28 percent. There's been talks about 34, 35 percent, setting it back to the old rates. But most folks are thinking that it's going to be around the 28% range as to where if something happens, that's where it might happen. So right off the bat, when we think about the S-Corps in the middle market, so if I've got a captive owned by an S-Corp or one of those LLC structures that I talked about that pay premium to the captive, the captive is going to pay more, which allows less amount of funds to be repatriated back to the owners, right? Um, The profits given back. Now, The one thing to be careful of is, and again, this is all subject to change, but currently what's being discussed is an increase in the dividend tax. And what the thought process is there is those folks that make over a million dollars would be subject to a 39.6 rate because they're looking at... Um, not only raise the dividend tax, but raise the individual tax rates back up to the highest levels for those individuals who what they were before the last administration changed it of 39.6. So when you think about it, the captive is going to pay more taxes, which is going to allow less dividends to go back. And then the individuals that pick it up, if they make more than a million dollars, get a significant increase on that dividend coming back. So when you tie that into the insurance program and how financing a captive, you look at it and the cost of your insurance. Insurance now is going way up as to where it was today okay now that's not the same scenario for all structures believe it or not not all structures are created the same when you talk about C corporations and if we're owned about it by a C corporation and let's just say we're in a consolidated group um, what I mean by consolidated is I have several different C corporations that are all filing one consolidated tax return well what happens in that situation is Everybody that's paying the premium to the captive, the captive is getting that loss reserve deduction on the consolidated level. So in the consolidated C corporation regime, we're actually, believe it or not, even though the the total tax rate went up, we're getting a benefit that's deferring tax down the road. A little bit different than the other structure, they'll still get the deferral, but a little bit different. Then when you talk about the dividend repatriation back, well. If I repatriate dividends back to my parent company in a consolidated tax return regime, well, they're not going to pay tax on it. it. gets The dividend gets eliminated. So essentially, C-Corps have a different, a, a different taxing regime that may be more beneficial in a rising tax rate area. More than the other structure so it's very important whenever you're looking at entering into a captive not only entering into a captive um i like to say best practice in a captive for those captives that set it and forget it and never go back and review their structure and review the types of coverages and to see they're at a disadvantage of those that always give their captive a Checkup, not only from a tax perspective, but from a coverage perspective. I'm sure Pete um, could go into and talk for days about um, how some of his best practices clients reevaluate the captive every year. So you reevaluate it from an insurance perspective as well as a tax perspective, especially when the um, tax rules are going to change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Uh- Pete, we mentioned earlier about the um, hard market and how, of course, the hard market has uh, driven a lot of interest in captives over the past two years and driven a lot of the the, the ones that have been set up. If middle market companies are struggling with the hard market and, and want to set up a captive as uh, almost, you could say, a quick fix, has, has that boat, do you think, been missed? And I guess you'd you suggest that there are obviously longer-term benefits to a captive and just taking them on up for the hard market.
1: Yeah, so- so uh, I'll, I'll I'll start by saying no they haven't made it but I, I want to no they haven't missed it um, but I'll go back to to something Dan made the comment on and and he knows specifically is you do need to have those periodic checkups on tax and, and again it's not looking and saying we're trying to do this tax thing it's looking and saying what how should we be doing this and are we doing it right so uh, I, Dan knows that because just you know just through the number of shared clients that we have that we take that approach very very seriously um, so how ha- has a, the middle market missed the boat on utilizing a captive. Um, I think there's a fundamental change happening here in the insurance marketplace, right? I, I think I'm kind of lucky that I can say I haven't necessarily been around for a, a true hard market, but I've seen hardening markets you know, over my time in the industry uh, and typically, what would happen is you, know, you have the, the carriers going for a price increase of 20 30% and the broker and the insured push back on that and you settle at an 8% increase and nobody feels like they won, but everybody's you know, reasonably okay with, with the result. The, there's a difference going on here, which is you know, carriers are coming in and saying, I need a 40% pricing increase. You say, you push back and they walk away. So they're not compelled to fill out their capacity. They're compelled or the motivating factor is to drive profitable business across the board. I, I won't say wh- who said this, but I had read an article maybe six six months or so ago, um, but a leader of an insurance company gone to his underwriting team and said, hey, what is our retention uh, on business this year? And the underwriting team proudly said it was 90 or 95%. Uh, and he said, no, that's, that's way too much. We should be around 50% because all those lost business clients, we should be cutting them loose. And it's really, there's been a fundamental change or there is an ongoing fundamental change in the insurance marketplace. So that change is not something that's going to necessarily flip back to where it was before. We're going to have this soft market. We'll see tempering, I think, of the premiums over time, but I don't necessarily think that we'll see carriers moving back wholesale to aggressively just trying to to fill their capacity. So what that means is we're gonna continue to have pricing pressures. We're not gonna necessarily see pricing drops. I could be wrong, but this this is kind of what I'm seeing here in the insurance marketplaces. We won't have those pricing drops. So what that means is for that middle market, they're still gonna continue with that pricing pressure, which means they're gonna be seeking ways to finance their risk uh, more efficiently. And with the advent or sort of the, the innovation that we've seen around risk financing, and doing these multi-line integrated aggregate structures, as well as the reinsurance markets kind of moving away from the larger programs and into into smaller ones, I think there's going to be more creative opportunities for that middle market to adjust the risk financing. What that's ultimately going to do is it's going to continue to perpetuate the change in risk financing. Meaning even if carriers started to drop their prices, it, it will have to get to a really aggressive number to Bring that middle market back once they get the taste of, of uh, really controlling their own risk financing. Um, the part, the challenge we're going to see is really on the reinsurance marketplace side, where we saw a little bit of a retreat, as I mentioned earlier. But I think that's where either traditional carriers will need to redeploy capital uh, to those reinsurance markets, or we're going to see hedge funds. Uh, and possibly even really, I don't want to say esoteric, but capital that we wouldn't have expected to see before. So you could take some very, very large companies that might be in their own industry doing whatever they're doing, and they're actually looking at deploying some of their capital in the risk space because they're comfortable with it. Uh, And that could end up going behind some of these reinsurance entities or new reinsurance type of structures that can meet those, those needs. And in that middle market, you, you don't have to go after, like I said, in, in the large account, you don't have the the one client with a hundred million dollars with a limit. You can go after 10 clients with $10 million with a limit. So you can diversify both on a risk basis, but also on a a, a broader portfolio of companies that you're insuring. So you can have more insured, smaller amounts and you could diversify that way. So I think the the opportunities for the middle market are really just beginning to get tapped. To be honest with you, and I don't see that stopping uh, for the foreseeable future. And you even and and the only thing that would stop it, I think, is an aggressive uh, soft market where the carriers are just giving it away, uh, giving their capacity away.
0: Well, thank you to Pete Krantz of Beecher Carlson and Dan Casella from Crow for a great outline of the US middle market captive growth and the different company and captive structures being utilised. If you want more information on Beecher Carlson or any of our guests, then please do visit globalcaptivepodcast.com or follow the links in the episode show notes. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.